Hello, and welcome to the Surplus Geek Podcast. I'm Jake, and today, before we start talking to Matt about uh, video game development and his, his life and where he grew up and such, I wanted to do a little update, because this is the first podcast in a while. Uh, I've been extremely busy with life, and uh, I would have already probably have had an episode out, or not an episode, but a video out, uh, but I my GPU died in late September, early October, and as anyone that knows anything about the current GPU market, it's kind of hard to get a new GPU without breaking the bank. So that put a huge uh, halt on my ability to get anything done. And I've only just been able to start working on it in the last couple of weeks here. So I wanted to get Matt to get me and Matt together. And obviously this is, this is also over Discord. Unfortunately, the quality isn't the greatest. So I apologize in advance for that. Uh, but with that being said, uh, let's just get into it. It's just going to pick up right from, right from there and, uh, hope you guys enjoy. So it's going to be a little bit different. It's not really about surplus per se. It's more about, uh, video game development and such. So let's just get into it. All right. So with that intro aside, we now have our virtual sit down with, with Matt and, uh, Matt, take it away with where you grew up. Well, hello. I am Matt. <laughs> so, so well, I'm Matt. Uh, I am a game developer. I work for one of the largest studios in the world, really. And uh, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and cool. and uh, it, you, it's Raven for anyone that wants to be wants to know the specific studio. But so. I, I make the Call of Duty games. Yeah, he's got... I'm the only developer, so you can complain at me. Yeah, I always request refunds from him, but... I also made Squad, so you can complain about at me about Squad. Yeah, that, yeah, we'll have to... I, didn't, I, I don't forget, but I, we have to talk about that at the end, because Squad is... is it's I also made, beast. made PR. I'm the sole developer on PR. We're going, we're going reverse in terms of where you started, but... Um, so, you, so... Besides the whole very detailed game development history here, um, you, you started. You you were you born in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I was born in Saudi Arabia on the American oil company compound Aramco, like the huge com- uh, campus for expats or expatriates, as you want to call them. And yeah, I was born at the hospital there. Uh, I think it was called John. Actually, no, I don't think it was called Johns Hopkins. I think they just changed the name years later to Johns Hopkins. Huh. So you're, kind of interesting. both your parents are obviously Americans. Um, yes, they are American. Yeah. They actually, um, before Saudi Arabia, uh, they were they were living in, in Doha, Qatar. And they were around for, for basically the Gulf War there. And... Uh, yeah, fun little story. Uh, they used to host parties and uh, host parties for the Air Force guys. Huh. So yeah. So so your family. Yeah. So and they're from Texas. So you guys are yep. Texas family living in the Middle East uh, during some of the more crazy time period for the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, Tell you me about it. <laughs> we're actually in Saudi Arabia during one of the most important dates in history at this point. Yeah, nine eleven. I still remember it exactly. Like, I was in fourth grade, coming home. This is around four p.m. I would say. Uh, 
Middle Eastern time, coming home, seeing my father up uh, standing in front of the TV, and just seeing those uh, twin towers on fire. I mean, a lot. I, I'll say uh, the uh, during around that time, from what I remember, it was not very nice to be an expat there. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that the security got increased post 9/11 for you guys. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember uh, post 9-11 and, uh, you know, pre-9-11, there was, like, hardly any security. Then after 9-11, there was, like, security checkpoints all over the place. Like, I, I remember there was this gun truck in front of the main gate, and it has, like, an MG3 and all that stuff. Like, I even remember hearing about rumors after uh, the 2004 Kobar Massacre, I believe it's called. And on Wikipedia, because I was still living there at the time in 2004 uh, when Al Qaeda decided to, you know, party <laughs> in in Kobar, massacring a bunch of expats. But anyways, you guys, I, so you were you were actually living there even into the invasion of Iraq then. Yeah, I remember wow. that. That's like crazy. I remember that's watching crazy. CNN. Yeah, that that's pretty crazy. So I mean. And and that's that's a significant life experience to live not only in a foreign country but to live in a foreign country that's right next to like this where massive all this stuff event. is going on. Yeah, this massive event that you know in the last twenty years, uh, you know, really changes the shape of the world. Uh, you know, for better or worse. I mean, that's up to you know anyone's opinion, but that, that's huge. And then uh, uh, so you you know you you basically spent your formative years there. When did you end up moving back to the United States and where did where did that take you? Well, like I was talking about with the Kobar Massacre in 2004, I think, or five. It's one of those years. I think it's 2004. Um, right, after the, right after that happened, uh, pretty much a lot of ex, expat families ended up leaving Saudi Arabia. Uh, my family, we left like a month later Except for my father. My father stuck around uh, to continue working. And he worked there up until like last year. Um, Yeah. So I ended up leaving the Middle East. Yeah, in 2005. Probably a good time to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then you ended up. What? Where did you end up going to school after that? I was homeschooled uh, after. Well, I was always homeschooled, to be honest. Um, so when I ended up, when I, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> so after we moved, we moved back to the States, um, I was, I was homeschooled up until about 2007 for my soft, until my sophomore year of high school. And that was when I was sent off to boarding school. Cause I was a little, but no, I wasn't, um, <laughs> It just, no, yeah, I was a little problem child. No, I was just sent off to boarding school because, uh, well, no, the company actually paid for my dad's company actually paid full price for boarding school. And the reason why was because in Aramco, uh, they have their own schools for the, uh, the America for the Westerners that, that lived on the camp. Yeah. But the school only went up to ninth grade. So that's why they, that's why they, you know, decided to like, I, I guess ship kids off to boarding school. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, they were making up for the lack of they were finishing their education because they didn't have uh, yeah 
it built in. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, it, yeah. it also makes sense that your parents take advantage of it, send you to a boarding school because they could, right? You know, so it makes sense. So you go to boarding school, you do that. Uh, the boarding school was where? Did you say? It was up in Vermont. Uh, I went to boarding school up in Vermont for three years and graduated in 2010. It was pretty cool, I guess. And that was like the first time I saw snow, too. So it was <laughs> quite wild. I mean, growing up in the in the desert where everything's gray and desaturated and just not fun. Yeah, it's like growing um, up in New Vegas. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I just remember, I just remember it just being so hazy, like gray haze in the Middle East, and then coming back to the states, everything just felt so vibrant. Oh, especially Even in Vermont. Though, yeah, especially up in Vermont, especially when there's like actual seasonal changes. Oh yeah, dude. New England's got yeah. the got the, the yeah, best so, fall, so. So yeah, I graduated in 2010 up in Vermont. I actually ended up sticking around in New England up until uh, 2012, I would say. I think that was when I went back home to Texas because, I mean, after I graduated high high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I mean, I originally wanted to join the military, which did not happen for various reasons. Yeah, unfortunately, but, I know I know that your health prevented that, but yeah. if that happens. I know a lot of guys that a lot of people that couldn't join because of their health. Um, yeah, and it's not even that you're not healthy; it's just it's something stupid. But you know, uh, something's so, really dumb. <laughs> yeah, so you end up you end up going home. I know you go. You eventually go to college because uh, yeah, you go you go to a college near near me that I know a few people that went to, and you didn't. You didn't enjoy it, and they didn't enjoy it either. So nothing against this college, but I've heard some bad things. Well, the college they offered they offered a program that I lo- that I wanted to get into, and the thing was, I was already doing it by myself. It's just that my parents were like, "Okay, you need to go to school or get a job." So I was like, "Okay, well, I'll go. I'll go to school then." And uh, I ended up going to uh, Southern New Hampshire University because. They had a program for game art. I was like, okay, I'm going to learn some game art. Because around this time, I was doing some project reality stuff, just modding by myself, you know, making the whole game. No, I wasn't. I was just texturing uh, models and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, after after like spending a year at Southern New Hampshire, I, I ended up going to a different school, which led me to a lot more connections. Yeah, your your change from <clears throat> from SNU to what will be I know Cham- it's Cham- Champlain, Champlain in Vermont. Yeah, you Champlain. find yourself back in Vermont, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> All right. But Champlain, anyone that's out there listening to this that wants to go to the game design, Champlain is definitely one of the ones to look at. It's, oh, I, it's a very nice say, school and a nice campus, and a it's great a very program. expensive school. I'll tell you that. But uh, that's true too. Yeah. But the program there, they they did a really nice job for like how they structured it because they didn't take it as like a, a as a gimmick because a lot of schools i mean teaching how teaching game development especially in specific di- uh, disciplines like the art discipline the design discipline producer programmer etc um no one knows how to structure those and 
surprisingly, Champlain actually structured them and split them up into different discipline programs that you could that you could get a degree in. So I ended up going through the the art program because I don't know. I guess I guess I'm an artist. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> so. Yeah, and it makes sense. I had the same problem. I didn't go to SNU, obviously. I went to a different college, but I had the same problem when I went to college. Where the and, and this was an issue going back the last two decades with colleges and game design, where they just a lot of colleges wanted to have the program, but didn't know where to go directionally with the programs. And we, I had that issue. It's one of the reasons why I dropped out was because <laughs> I didn't really fit into college that well. And oh, I didn't I fit just, in college. Yeah, and then I was looking at the program, and it was like, oh, this is not what I want to do. If this is what game design was, that really, I was like, oh, this is not my thing. Well, I think and, part of the problem is that most schools, they don't split the disciplines. They kind of just lump it all in one. Yeah, well, mine was game design fell underneath interactive media, but it was like a sub-program. So it wasn't even really, it was already being, uh, you know, cut down even further in being yeah. simplified and stuff. So you weren't getting a full rounded education as far as, you know, in game design, like you said, it, it's just like making a movie or anything else where it um, there's tons of variety in game game development uh for jobs so uh side note because anyone who well anyone who's played mods specifically project reality project reality is a fantastic mod i mean it was in development before battlefield 2 even came out um people yeah. were already, they were already looking to mod battlefield 2 uh if you didn't if you haven't played project reality it's a classic um, yeah. i mean i haven't played it in a while but it's a i encourage anyone to try it out because there are still people playing it like i i, I was playing it with a different group of friends uh a few weeks ago and we were having a lot of fun yeah and it's still being developed this is 15 yeah. this is 16 years of development at this stage and uh yeah and that's where you get your kind of your your i would say your taste for digital art and whatnot yeah i mean how what i was doing at the time is i had a copy a friend's copy of uh <laughs> of a uh, photoshop and I learned how to open up like the .dds files that Battlefield Two used for the for their texture f- files, and from there I was just doodling around and retexturing things. Like really, it started out. I remember I took the the U.S. soldier texture and turned uh, and basically turned that texture into from from Marpet to UCP camouflage. And then I got really more in depth with it, and I started painting in certain details to change the the vest into uh, the MTV body armor that they were using at that time. And yeah, I mean, that was like when I was started getting into the whole digital art stuff for games. Yeah, and for anyone that doesn't know, at the time, what he's <laughs> talking about, it was they didn't have the U.S. Army as a faction, as a sub faction. It was just the Marines. Yeah. So they had to they had to add in the army, all the assets that come into that, and the changes of you know, you know, the obviously different camouflage, different body armor. So uh, that was like what point eight? No, no, point seven five. Was it? Was it point eight? I don't know. It was in Might that ballpark. Have, it was around point seven five, point eight, I think. Yeah, and uh, not to go too far into Project Reality, but it's just one of those things where Project Reality—that's how we know each other. So Project Reality is significant in more than one yeah. way, um, and then. Eventually, you're doing college. 
you get involved in what was originally supposed to be PR two, and that that was a different spinoff that went into a different direction uh, and died in a PR two. PR two was like in the in between. I mean, I was still working on squad, uh, not squad. I was still working on PR project reality at the time, and and you know, I remember hearing about PR two. Like people wanted to do PR two, you know, do this and that. Um, then there was this guy. I think he went by the name Foxhound. He just, I don't know, for some reason we started talking and started recruiting some dudes. And that's when I got a little involved with PR2. And, um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were starting to get somewhere. We, we switched up from, I think it was the UDK engine to CryEngine, which was a terrible choice, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, well looking time. back. Looking back now, it was a terrible choice yeah. because CryEngine is so limited and it's not it's not programmer friendly. And, um, and for anyone to to know why they were going to do PR two was when they made the mod, the mod was limited by the engine that Battlefield was using, and yeah. obviously the mod, so you're limited on certain hard coded yeah. elements. But you know, CryEngine at the time though was like it was huge. It looked like it was going to be the next big thing, and it just never ended up getting. Yeah. Off well, the, the ground problem, like Unreal the, did. The problem I think people have, uh, well, the problem I think a lot of uh, uh, plebs, <laughs> no, uh, a lot of normal gamers think is that you know pretty graphics equals better game engine, right? Which is not the case. There's a lot of things that goes involved with the game engine. It could be like the tools, the ease ease of use, the editor, I, you know, and any of the 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 stuff that's underneath that you know makes the game engine run. That's what makes a good game engine. Well, I would say I mean, Crisis is a great example of that because it's a fantastic looking game and it even still holds up to this day, but it was never like fantastic gameplay. It was like pretty, oh, it was okay gameplay. Some of it was fun. Some of it was kind of, you well, know, it's. I, I mean, Crisis is a great game. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think, I think the, the misconception that people get about game engines is pretty equals better, which is not the case. It's all about use, ease of use that makes a great game, game engine. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. Uh, There's a lot of games out there that don't meet the definition. Yeah, and that's why UDK, Unreal Engine 3, was so good. Because it was so easy to use, and you can make it look pretty. Although it did have that, that very classic Unreal look that a lot of games had at that time, period. Like, you could just tell that was an Unreal game. Well, uh, uh, Rising Storm 1 was on... UDK was on Unreal three, right? No, that was on U. Uh, that was on a uh, uh, Unreal Engine two. Oh, that was two. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> the cool story about about uh, Tripwire is that when they made a red, uh, what was it, uh, Red Orchestra, they ended up winning. I think it was one of the the mod database uh, mod of the years, and one of the thing, one of the um, what was it? Awards was a license for Unreal Engine two or something. Oh, that's right. That is, and how that's they when they getting started. Yep. Yeah, and that's when they turned it into like an actual company and started selling it commercially. But anyways, but yeah. So you you work on PR two. It kind of dies because it just it just never had. It just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, PR two yeah. just wasn't going anywhere. I mean, problem is no one. Uh, the problem was is that didn't have anyone that was working on uh prototyping because prototyping is like the biggest thing i mean you, you 
you just start building the building blocks. And that's, I mean, we could do all the fancy art we want, right? But if you don't have a build that works, then there's no point. Yeah, you got to have the basics in line yeah. be- before you can even put the cool-looking stuff in, yeah. Yeah. And that leads so, you to... Squad. Yeah, yeah. so I remember... Um, <clears throat> I forgot who. Well, I think... Uh, no, Sniper Dog. Also, who is uh, Merlin on the, the squad forums, I think. Who's Will? Will Stahl, the, the CEO at, oh, of the time. He reached out to me and and, and uh, mentioned that he was working on a spiritual successor to to Squad with a bunch of other PR guys that were really dedicated to this. Like some some dudes that I haven't spoken to in a few years, and you know they were really serious. Like they were putting money behind it. And since I was at school at the time to learn game development, game art specifically. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it in my spare time. It's not like I was getting paid at the time. So I was just learning some of that, uh, learning some of the game art stuff and going, doing some, doing some more texture work, a little bit of 3D modeling for them up until about 2018, I would say. That's when I stopped. Yeah. With Squad, though, Squad was a great, Squad was, was as close to a, it, it, it's that's an indie game that made it, so that gives you a good oh, foundation. Yeah, you know, like, to jump into the industry. Yeah, I mean the, the way the way we did Squad, I I would say it was pretty good because we were bu- building the building blocks, quite literally. Like you know, we're not. It was it was a very agile development workflow where you know you just find the fun essentially. You just build and then build on top of that. It's it wasn't like how PR was where it's just like okay let's just take what they did and make it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I probably would have preferred if Squad did that, but um I mean, you kind of have to innovate somewhere. Um whether or not that's good innovation or not, you might as well try. And Yeah, well, I think the issue that you're talking about is just sometimes, you know, it's good to choices. it's good to innovate but you don't always want to reinvent the wheel kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you know, some, uh, some of the choices that were made both, you know, uh, some of the choices that were made for like the assets and possibly even gameplay design were questionable in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I'm a very, I, I like authentic stuff. Like I, I like if I'm going to be portraying this group or this, this faction, I I do my due diligence and and ref- and find references and research like what's correct. Like I'll go so far into uh, just looking into a lot of the gear that soldiers wear and try to kn- uh, try to know the the terminology for like the little bits bits and bobs on on it, like, you know, the, the Velcro, the hook and loop, and all that stuff. Like, the actual terminology for this. Because it helps. It helps you as a developer, as a game de- a game artist to to know, because if you know what you're looking for, it's just so much easier. Well, yeah, if you're modeling something you don't know how it works, or how it yeah. interacts, or how, it, like, if it's a mechanical piece, you don't know how it's going to move. Yeah. 
Like, it can look Probably. really good, but the minute it's animated, poof, it can yeah. look, you know, weird and funky. I mean, uh, with Squad, for instance, the tow missile in Squad, I had a little bit of a hand in that. In terms yeah, of so... Providing reference. Like, I mean, I don't know whose decision it was to not use the, the correct version, even though I got references from you, actually, and pointed... Yeah, and I was direct- in contact with the model. Yeah, the so... <clears throat> That's one of the, that was one of the, those are like some of the instances that kind of bugged me because I'm a very like I said I, I I like authenticity and if you're not doing it if you're not doing it right even when you have like everything at your feet then why do it at all yeah and and that that's a that's that's we we're both built very similar in that that uh, <laughs> realm of thinking because that was always something that you know you obviously know my gripes with certain things and. You know, the toe was one of those things where I was in direct contact with the person who was actually modeling the toe, and they ended up going with the M220A4 launcher, which is, that's basically your your original toe launcher. Uh, We're going back to the 80s, and it's not incorrect per se, but both the Marines and the Army had switched to, we call it, the Army calls it the ITAS, the uh, Marines call it the Sabre system. Um, We switched that system in the 2000s. I mean, it was procured in the 90s so it was a little weird to have a game where you have guys running around around wearing ocps and yeah have Matt and, 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 yeah. and that was one of the things that bugged me is like some uh, some of the people were like well it's 10 it's 10 it's five to ten years difference and i'm like well they already had this stuff within that 10 year frame so why are you choosing stuff that was built in the 70s yeah, 70s, yeah, yeah, 70s, 80s, you know, and not only that, I, I, you had someone, you know, I was feeding him information, being a National Guard, National Guard does is a little behind on procurement and stuff, and even my unit had M2A1s. We you had, still have the modern equipment, so, I mean... Yeah, but on. usually, even then, though, you, like, I remember when I went to basic, they were like, oh, you, you probably won't see a 320, like, your entire time in the National Guard, and I get to my unit, and we had M320s, we had the 240 Limas, we had M2A1 Brownings, uh, yeah. and and we also got the uh, PIP upgrade for the M4A1, so with the <clears> ambidextrous <throat> safety and all that. So it's, it, like, the National Guard's not even that far behind anymore. So, you know, it's, it was a little weird, and it, and it's a little, for us, it was frustrating, because, you know, being someone, being both of us, I mean, I was still in the National Guard at the time, you, being both of us being into authenticity and being authentic. Yeah. Being able to tell, like, this is what we're seeing and stuff. And we also had friends that were 101st Airborne at the time, deployed, We had, you know, or 82nd deployed. I mean, I also have friends that are in the Green Beret. So, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> I have a bunch of resources. <laughs> yeah, all these different layers and stuff. And it's not the it's not the, the dump on squad, but it's just one of those things, like you said, if you're going to do something, if you have the intel, the information, yeah, what you need, do it right, do it right the first time. And then you don't run into the issues down the road. And I, I think that's an organization failure where you want to set, you know, I think the five to 10 years, five to 10, 10 years, especially when squad was being developed, we're talking 2015, 2016, 10 it years. 20, it was 2013, 2014, I would say. Oh, that's even started. worse. Because so, 10 years, yeah. you're talking invasion of Iraq. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's pre-UCP times. Where they had nothing. They had uh, M16A2s and, you know... Yeah, you're open, talking o- open open door truck uh, gun trucks. Yeah, <laughs> come on. You're t- yeah, you're talking what woodland with DCU combination and stuff like you know, which is very... a really cool aesthetic though. Yes, 
we I think we all agree that woodwind with or DCU with a little woodwind is always yeah. nice. But although my my favorite look for the American soldier would probably have to be the Panama or Grenada invasion. Oh like yeah, those dudes they just yeah Panama with the scrim on the helmet. Yeah, there's like I'm not gonna lie, I'd probably uh you know open 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 up open up for for some of those dudes. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I think I, I do think though that that the the eighties woodland aesthetic is definitely yeah you can't beat that yeah I mean they look they not not to say soldiers nowadays don't look professional because I, I think they do now especially with o, with uh OCP uh, yeah oh yeah OCP yeah I think they do now but back in the eighties late like mid to late eighties I think they I think they looked dope like they looked awesome oh yeah I mean. <laughs> I think it sucks too because there's not enough video games that really take advantage of that well, '80s, early '90s. Well, I would say, I would say, um, Black Ops Two, Call of Duty Black Ops Two. Because if you remember, if you've ever played yeah, the, campaign, the, the single, yeah. yeah, if you ever played the single player campaign, the Panama Invasion level, they had it. They actually got it right. I would say because they because they had the scrim helmet, they had the pasgets and all that stuff. It, yeah, it but looked it's only awesome. One level though. I know, I know. A whole game set in that era. I mean, there's 83. You can look forward to 83 whenever they finish that, but that could be a while. Although, that, 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 that one's looking pretty good, although I'm not too sure if they're doing any uh, any American faction. It's, it's, what, British right now? Well, they modeled the MUD. Did they? I don't think it, yeah, the, that was the latest vehicle, was the MUD. I don't know if the British used the MUD. I don't know. I could be wrong. I thought British mostly used Land Rovers, but I could be uh, wrong. I, well, I don't. I don't drink tea and eat crumpets, so I don't know. Yeah, I, it's not my my forte. But so we tangent way off into aesthetics. But uh, <laughs> but I mean that's exactly the point, though, is that you know um, it's good it's good that there's someone who's who's working. I mean, it's not like you're making decisions. No, uh, but I can I can definitely you know provide my insight, which I have because I like to research a lot of this stuff, and I'll give my two cents. Whether or not that's taken, that 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 information's taken, you know, that's up to them. Because sometimes, especially in AAA gaming for development, there's an area on Call of Duty Vanguard that I worked on, and I wanted to do like a very specific look for uh, one of these gun emplacements because I had references for how it looked at the time. Like this, like this is how they would set it up, but it didn't look good in the grand scheme of things because. Visually, it was not super appealing. I wouldn't say super appealing. It, it just didn't work at the, for the specific area. So I did something that that no no soldier would probably would have done for uh, an emplacement because it just didn't make sense. But visually, for for what we were trying to achieve for that area, art wise, it made sense. Yeah, it's a you had to make a decision where it was yeah. uh, uh, in this case not gameplay specific, but but game Visually. type thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a visual thing. I mean, there was no real gameplay in that area, anyways. But you, the player does go through there. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, it's unfortunate when you can't. I mean, movie, yeah. movies been doing that this forever, so it's not. Yeah. I mean, gameplay always trumps realism. We we hear oh, it definitely. all the time. So definitely. I mean, that was my mantra in PR. It's like okay. Well, we can do something super realistic, or we can do something that you know actually is fun. So, I'd much rather have something that is fun, but still maintains, it still is, it's still authentic enough to be realistic. Yeah. 
that's where authentic beats out realism, generally speaking. You want authentic. You want it to look right. It's not always going to yeah. play exactly. And honestly, I don't know why you would want it to play exactly, because a lot of times it would be just... It would just be like Arma. I mean, yeah. It would just be like Arma, where you're just walking around doing nothing for like three hours and then just die. Yeah. Hey, I get it. I get why people want to do that. But, it, uh, you know, that's for a triple A game specifically, that's a no go. Yeah. So, working on Call of Duty, uh, I, like I said, I try to provide my insight because my, my art director, he knows that I'm a nerd for this stuff. Even my manager, he knows I'm, I'm a nerd for this stuff. And, you know, I, I just try my best. Um, I just try my best to give my insight, my takes on what would work and what probably wouldn't work, especially for this time period. Because as an artist in general, or as a developer that's trying to do these historical pieces, you have to do a lot of your research to understand how, uh, how understand the period and understand like the types of materials they were using. So like, for instance, there was this one area that, that I worked on where I originally put down like a plastic tarp on the ground. Right. But then, you know, I started thinking like, okay, did they even have plastic at that time? W- would this group of people even use plastic? Would it be more of a canvas thing? And you start going through through that kind of motion, and you know, just do a little research, and you know, I was like, okay, I'll just switch them to like a canvas burlap or something, you know, small things like that. I think the moral of that story too, when a game comes out, and this is not just Call of Duty, this is Battlefield, Call of Duty, uh, Squad, you know, anything. Well, any military game, really. If there's something that's inaccurate, unfortunately, it pains it pains us. It probably pains some of the devs too. It's costs, it's decisions have to be made, things have to happen a certain yeah. way. A licensing is a huge one, because you have to get approved by legal, and, you know, if it doesn't work, like for instance, you know, the Hueys in Cold War, Black Ops Cold War, you know, I was incredibly bummed, personally. I was like, wow. I think you guys probably could have got around, got away with it, but it's it, the, th- the problem is, is when, you look, when you're legal and you're looking at this stuff, yeah. you're going, hmm, is it worth risking a lawsuit? Uh, Battlefield 3 had their issue with Bell, Bell Textron. And Call of Duty with the Humvees. Yeah, I mean, I remember working on Squad and we are like, okay, we have to take out the Humvees because we're getting sued to, to high owl about it. Yeah, yeah, you guys were, yeah, so, and, and that's not, you're not the only, that's how multiple companies had to rip their Humvees out, because, you know, I mean, even, um, the Commander Conquer remaster, they had to, they didn't call it a Humvee in Tiberian. Oh, Dawn. yeah, you're right. They had to change it, and they even had to modify the model a little bit, because, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's unfortunate, because it really shouldn't happen, but, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so, oh, if I know. Which, if it, which is kind of dumb, because it's a military vehicle paid by u.s taxpayers yeah i know but besides our money besides our money being used for nefarious purposes um yeah and and, and that's the thing i think people need to understand that and that's one of the reasons i did want to have you on because i think a lot of people look at video games they go oh why did they do this why did they do that video games are a lot more scrutinized i think that movies are because movies don't seem to have that issue if they have a humvee in a movie they don't have to worry about those things i know which is quite ridiculous to be honest but i think it comes down to well, actually, I, I I don't know. Maybe there is something going on for for movies that we don't know about. Maybe there are certain licenses that they have to use. Maybe it's also because it's a, a real product instead of being a yeah. I I don't really know an asset. I don't know. There is that question of whether or not you know, uh, like let's say you decide to model the entire DC 
built uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, capital buildings in DC, right? Let's say you decide yeah. to model that. Well, who owns the art? Ooh, that is that is, that is a tough one because technically it's a public entity. So that's like one of those things that you that you know that comes up legally. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, for if if we did something for a video game, it would have to be changed up significantly. That's that's a really good question though, because who does own that art? I mean, do you own just specifically that asset? Well, it'd be not, owned, obviously. Yeah, I guess it would be owned by the state at that point. But if it's owned by the state, wouldn't it technically be owned by us? I, I don't know. I don't know. We're not lawyers, so we're not we're not yeah. lawyers. But that's why you guys have a legal team. You know, that's why if you are digital, if if you were to get into indie development or something, keep that all in mind. Yeah. Even if you're a small indie developer, I mean, Squad was successful, but it wasn't like Squad was yeah, setting the world on like fire we with its greatness. You know, not like we were buying licenses for everything. We we're just you know larping things. Yeah, up. they got they, yeah. So it it doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how small you are. They will come for you if they think yeah. that they can. You know, um, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Battlefield, they ended up settling on a court with yeah, Bell they did. on that, but, which was unfortunate, because I think they should have... Which makes me wonder how but... Portal's going to be. Because, <laughs> are they going to have the Humvees? Are they going to have the, the Venom? Are they going to have the the, Cobra, the the Viper, I should say? They have the Abrams. Yeah, I, I know I saw the Abrams. In yeah, I saw the Abrams, so. too. And Abrams is, uh, would be technically a... I don't know if the Abrams is or not, though, because it's it's... General Dynamics didn't. I mean, General Dynamics well, wasn't it made by a bunch of a bunch of different companies throughout the years. Yeah, well, General Dynamics picked up the contract. Yeah. I forget who. I think General Dynamics is owned by someone else now too, aren't they? So I don't know. I forget that line of succession, but yeah, it was completely different. You had Chrysler, and then yeah, like, it, was, it was designed by Chrysler, right? Yeah, the original XM one that got picked up was Chrysler. It got a significant redesign in its turret, and that led to the original. Uh, pre-production m1 and they made it for a certain number of years and eventually that division of chrysler got sold got picked up by or either it was re sold or reformed and then somewhere general dynamics comes in the lines i can't remember exactly but that's where it gets weird because it's like technically because they they probably own the rights because it's followed them but at the same point it's a it's a procurement project from the united states military the dod so wouldn't that, it's paid for by taxpayer money it gets it gets into that weird gray zone. I know a lot of people are probably listening to us at this point, going, "Why are they talking about legal stuff?" <laughs> but it it's foundation wise, it's important. Big deal for games, yeah. especially if you're trying to do authentic, you know, weaponry or vehicles. Yeah, and we don't want to challenge your yeah. we don't want to challenge your debacle like War Thunder had either. That's that's another yeah. because when I was giving information about the toe, I was only giving information that you could Google and find. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not gonna like give out state secrets, <laughs> exactly. And uh, you know, and I, I, I mean, I'll have a, I'll, I'll talk to people about stuff, but there's certain things that I know I just won't talk about, even though yeah. like and you could probably find it if you look hard enough on the internet because way too much stuff is on the internet. Right, you can tell me, yeah, but. But that's that's another thing to keep in mind too. If you're a developer, you don't want to you don't want to you when you're doing research, you have to be careful about how deep you go into the research because you could step into a nightmare scenario where you get information you're not supposed to have, and you could be like Arma, where oh yeah, those guys got arrested. Their photograph teams, yeah, got arrested for looking at reference. And you know, I mean, to be honest, that one I don't know, I don't remember the whole story yeah. anymore. But that was kind of that was a kind of dumb. But like, maybe they should have yeah. known better. Because, you know, when we send teams out, we get approval from, you know, the, the the city, the state, you know, whatever. 
I mean, even if we're flying drones to take and take a screenshot, uh, take pictures for photogrammetry, you have to follow those laws and you have to be approved for it. So always follow the law. Yeah, exactly. Always look up the laws. Always find out what what's going on and stuff. And like I said, you don't want to you don't want to run run into an Arma situation, and you don't want to run into a War Thunder yeah. situation where War Thunder didn't do anything wrong, but classified information was being distributed on their forums, <laughs> which puts them yeah. in, in <laughs> which were, which yeah. is incredibly funny in my opinion. But you know, and they're also a Russian company that too, which is probably no bueno. So, I think they might be Belarusian, but. <laughs> yeah so if you're the in this case the mod the ministry of defense yeah. in the uk that's that's like oh my gosh and it happened again too. yeah, yeah sure the french yeah the french so. tank <laughs> like i'm gonna win this argument because i know better yeah i have classified uh, information you can't beat me yeah it's and, hilarious. you know and that's yeah it's actually it's funny but it's bad at the same point so and that plays into it again if, if it doesn't seem right that's just because that's the best that they can get for information the only tank that can kill you out of the entire Russian arm armory is probably the T eighty BV <laughs> right now because that's the only thing that destroys me. There's a lot of T T eighties running around right now. Yeah, it's really annoying. Us, so, like, I just want to decimate everyone with my M one A two. Like, come on, I want my my American dominance. Yeah. but um, I, I'm waiting for them to add the Predator or some form of a uh, you know UAV. You no, know, it'd be like Commander Conquer General. Is you have your own personal UAV that yeah, flies around. That's what I'm saying. Is like you know maybe. Because uh, don't they want to do like the military? Don't they want to like have uh, tank uh, tank commander? Uh, yeah, tank commanders integrate into that stuff. That was the plan at one point. Yeah, use micro UAVs, yeah. integrate it with with tank commanders, or integrate it with uh, just anyone really <clears> on <throat> the ground. Give yourself increased information. Hmm. I mean, you have that. You have that that mission in Battlefield Three, the tank mission. That one was really cool. Tank mission where you get to see like from the UAVs. Point the only thing that was kind of dumb about the Battlefield Three tank mission was that uh. The tank commander was in control of everything. That's another thing that really bugs me. Oh my gosh, that's another thing that bugs me. So, <clears throat> in squad, for the M182 Abrams gunner position in squad, it uses the auxiliary sight. It bugs me. Yeah, it bugs me so much. It's actually the, the sight that's directly... Not it's co it's it's co witness basically yeah. with not co witness it's it's co I mean it's set up to it's it. correct but it's the auxiliary site you're not going to be using it unless you know your digital site is messed up yeah and what's dumb is that the reasoning behind it was like well we don't have a proper uh, fire control system well then why do you have the digital site for you know the Challenger or you know the the T T seventy two B three correct like come on you're just gimping the M one. Because you have that huge line of sight issue now. Yeah, no, it really does. It's because you're set yeah. down into the right. You, you do have a terrible field of view versus the doghouse that's on the top of the turret. So that's the kind of authenticity that bugs me when if you don't get it right. Like it works for Battlefield. I mean, like visually for battle, visually for Battlefield three and four and all those others, is that it makes sense because you know you're not gonna have. It, for for gameplay, it makes sense to have the view model on your on your right, on your bottom right, because that's the most aesthetically pleasing point. But you know, if you have, it's a standard first person shooter thing. Yeah. But you know, for like a game like Squad, that's that's supposed to be realistic. Why, why do why pick the auxiliary site? Well, not only that. 
you had to go through the process of making the auxiliary site, like making the overlay and all that. I mean, Gutter Heat PC, for instance, they go a completely different direction. Gutter Heat PC, they have their proper site for the Abrams, the proper site, proper lead for the laser. They have like they have a proper fire control system. Yeah, for that's modeled in, and it makes sense because their game is 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 primarily it's all very basically tanks, but. It's basically a um, what's that? What's that combat sim Steel game Beast. called? Steel Beast. It's yeah. basically like a Steel Beast light. Yeah, it is Steel Beast light. It, it, it's Steel Beast where you don't need a manual to actually play the game. <clears throat> yeah, Steel Beast is great, but man, dude, it's, oh, I love Steel Beast. I'm just terrible at the it. The detailed stuff, it's crazy. But yeah, no, and and that actually, that's a really good one where I I was always like, oh, man, that's just it's just it came off as a weak a weak excuse for not putting in the correct site. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a really terrible excuse. It's like I understand for proper for other games, you know, why the the view model is the way it is, but for squad, using the auxiliary site because yeah, we don't bad. have a digital yeah. site. And it's modeled. the same thing with the toe. Toe being the wrong model. Come on. Come on. And not only Come that, on. I don't think I don't think they ever modeled the thermal site. No, they, they never did. The reason the the reasoning behind that was uh, you know, well, we could use it for the insurgent faction. Y'all never used it for the insurgent faction. You just gave them the SVG, anyways. Ugh. Oh, and they gave them. The, what did you model? You modeled something, didn't you? Model the uh, the cornet? No. What did you model? Yeah, I did model the cornet. That's yeah, they ended was... up. They ended up giving them the cornet. No, did they? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I thought they gave them the cornet. I thought they were still using the SVG. Maybe they are still using the SVG. I thought they gave them. I thought they eventually. But either way, like, yeah, that was poor thinking, poor planning. Not only that. If your main faction, like if you're looking at it from a, a larger picture, you either give the Americans the current issue, or you give the insurgents the current issue, or you give yeah. both the older gen. I mean, it makes more sense to go current issue. And yeah. they never modeled the thermal site. And I remember telling them, "Hey, if you're going to do it this one, you got to model the thermal site because there is a separate site. The, uh, the old toe, you had a day site, and then on top of it, you had a completely separate unit that that locked into the top, and it was a thermal site." And, uh, you know, it was completely separate. I mean, the, the, there is a huge, di- I don't, I can't go, I don't want to go too much detail into this, but the difference between the old 220 launcher and the ITAS is night and day. The ITAS is a completely digital computerized system with amazing joysticks on the side. They're not really joysticks. They're like little handle things. And you got full control over the system, multiple settings. And it, it's a, it's a vastly superior system. Uh, the toe is very under, under, underrated uh, in my opinion uh, people think it's this old system Toto bravos should rip through anything that you go come up on the modern power yeah, it'll, it'll destroy like all the cool stuff looking at you war thunder i don't know if you nerfed the Toto bravo but i've been having some issues with it it should be <clears throat> it's got it should be doing better than it does but it should be schwacking those uh you know pesky t90s yeah pretty much everything i i think people underestimate the power of the Toto bravo and how it takes out tanks you know people always want to <laughs> Uh, the javelin's amazing too, but people always want to talk about how great the javelin is. The toe too is just as good. The only disadvantage the toe has is the the obvious one, which is you have to stare at the target. And javelin's lame. Javelin, at least you could fire and then scoot and you know scoot and shoot. You don't have to sit. There no, it's lame. Leave. Yeah, uh, I, I unfortunately never got any time on the javelin, which I always uh, I always uh, that sucks. But well, I got time always... to watch it, so there's yeah. that. <laughs> um, but the I'm gonna watch a video right now. But the, but that that those are the things. And, and again, this is this is this is the you know if it pains us, 
if it pains us as gamers, it's going to pain. There's certain devs that are going to be like, oh, man, I wish we could have did this. But it, it is what it is. And well, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're definitely, I'm sure there's other devs that are into, you know, the same stuff that we're into that, you know, makes their head scratch. But and if it, I know it, there's, I know there's a few devs that play uh, Tarkov, for instance. Like, I, I love Tarkov. I just suck at it. And I don't play it anymore because um, I suck at it. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't have time it. to do it. But I love it because of the authenticity that they add to it. Like they model. I'm a gun nerd. I love guns, and you know, I, I just love the customization. Even the gear that they that they have yeah, for the loot. Like I love that stuff because I. I'm gonna admit I'm kind of a nerd, and I have some plate carriers for myself. And you know, just seeing the, that type of stuff in game that's accurate to what it is, like to what I own, is pretty cool. Like I have a Team Wendy helmet, uh, ballistic helmet, and you know they have a Team Wendy ballistic helmet in the game. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, make a character based on me. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah, he's got so, the Gucci, he got he's got the Gucci gear, and I guess we gotta we gotta say it. He's yeah. got one piece of Gucci gear that I am envious, and it's Gucci as all Gucci can get. Yeah, it's a little expensive too. <laughs> it's uh, so I bought I bought some um, uh, um, some Gen three RNVGs a few months back <clears throat> for night shooting, and uh, I have not gone shooting with them yet. Mainly because I can't find a range around where I live that. Allows night shooting, <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's like a a six thousand dollar brick sitting in my closet. But you got them. I got them. Walk around your apartment in the dark with them. So I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> and I have. <laughs> I've even done like uh, I've even done like uh, dry fire reloads with them. So it's pretty cool. Like I I, I want some range time behind them. Do you have a peck? I have a D ball. Okay. Yeah. I do want to get a full power pack 15, but those can range from like 1600 to well, whatever. So I am looking out for one, but I do like my D ball. As much as I envy you having night vision, I will say one thing. I did not like wearing night vision when I was in. You know, over the summer when I went to Wyoming, um, I was using some rental PVS 14s. It really wasn't that bad. But then again, I only had like a few hours usage. You probably had a few days of usage on yours i mean i can't imagine even i mean i never deployed so i can't imagine in combat using them (laughs) but you know it's just they're just not comfortable to use after a while especially if you're using a single a single tube we always were only monotubed you know we just you just it it starts to get at you for a while your eyes just start to oh i'd imagine like especially with the green phosphor tubes yeah you go to bed you close your eyes and you just have a green circle permanently in your eye for like you know an hour it you get used to it but it's just one of those things where like everyone's like oh night vision is so cool and it's like yeah i don't know i mean i do want to get a set of uh well just get and get a pvs 14 just to have oh i do too yeah i do see the benefits of having a monocular over binoculars oh there's tons of benefits i know i i want to own pvs 14 specifically but yeah uh at least as you know uh, just one and roll a kit like my the kit that i would wear when i was in uh, but like if I was looking, if I was in the turret, I relied more heavily on the toes uh, thermal sight 
or pseudo thermosite than on, I imagine. You know, or, you, you know, on my 240, because I had a 240 as my, you know, as a secondary. Well, don't, so. well, don't they use like the, the tow thermal sites, especially like in Afghanistan? Didn't they use that to scan the horizon? Yeah. So yeah, it's the advantage of the tow system. The ITAS can be used for observation purposes. And stuff. I mean, you have the LRAS, which is the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's basically the same thing, but it's it's a con- more condensed down into a box, and it's it's not as you'll see them on uh, scout platoons on their Humvees and stuff. I bet it's the same components. In a it most housing. likely is the same components. From my understanding, it's pretty. Oh, I mean, the Bradley uses the same system as the tow. It's the Embath, yeah. uh, or the improved. I think it might be IMBath, maybe now, but yeah, <laughs> it's similar system. Uh, borrows from it, and but yeah, I always relied on the tow because a, it was thermal, and b. You had zoom. Um, Not only that, but it's thermal. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it gets hard to identify things in night vision after certain, you, you know, things, yeah. depth perception leaves, and then you, you don't know what you're looking at. And Well, the problem with night vision is that it's still, it, I mean, you're still looking at a 2D image, regardless. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's compressing all that 3D image into a 2D image. So it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're wearing binoculars or a quad, it's still a 2D image. Yeah, at you're the still end looking of the day. through a screen, basically. And with the toe, you're looking through a screen, but you're looking through a two eye holes. You have two adjustable eye pieces. Yeah. You have zoom, so you can you can at least verify what you're looking at. And you also have just a wider field. Uh, obviously, not close up, but as you get further out, you have that wider vision. So I always relied on that. But like you know, when we did night shooting or we did anything at night, you know, night you know, we brought your night vision on. I mean, I will say it was fun shooting with like a, a Peck fifteen, but. Yeah. Uh, it's fun seeing that laser. Yeah, you pop it up. And, you know yeah. what, what, what reminded what's funny is that I, I did like a quick bore sight with my with my uh, D ball at home, and I have a fairly small apartment, so <laughs> I was just you know guessing at that point. But when I went out to the range, I was actually surprised how well it was. Uh, it was on the money. Uh, yeah, I hate, Ooh. dude. I hated. Bore sighting lasers. Oh, that was just because I know there's a because par- there's a couple things you can do for 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 uh, sighting in your laser, right? And I think the most common one, at least for the military, is parallel sighting, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple different yeah. methods. Yeah, oh, it's the same thing with uh, your sights. How you hold your sights? How you yeah. do what? Oh, your light, all that stuff. I, I hate. I hate you know sighting in my optics. It's such a pain in the ass. Yeah, luckily the military they have it down pretty good. But uh yeah. That's that I actually I, I never I actually liked going to the range. You go to the twenty five yard range first. Uh I had an ACOG, so easy, easy time. But it was easy. You just you know, for us it was just we put a we put a target up. I think it was like three rounds at a time. You made adjustments. I usually was good within like the first 10, 12 rounds, whatever it was. And then you go over to the, the qual range. I mean army ba- riflemanship or Marksmanship is, I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it's not complicated. I mean, you had some, you had pop-up targets and, you know, you just. That sounds good. more fun, but, you know, I don't really like going to into the range to go shooting because I think that's pretty boring. Like bench shooting just, it's not exciting for me. Oh, barrier so, shooting is where it's at, dude. When you're doing yeah. like, movement to barriers, do, using VTAC barriers and doing like actual drills, like running drills and stuff, it's so much fun. When we did live at basic, when we did those training, that training, and we were doing barrier yeah. moving shoot, you know, you're two people, 
and you're bounding off each other and stuff. That was when I was live ammo. That was fun. That was actually extremely fun. The advanced yeah. marksmanship in the in the army was basic. Was that was incredibly fun. But you know the basic marksmanship stuff is is pretty basic. But I mean, I always I the range day for us was always fun. You just go out there, you qual your weapon, you know, and then sometimes you get a chance to go back in. Sometimes you know, a lot of times we did uh, with pro mask, you know, with an M50 on or an M40 earlier on for me. And then uh, at night you'd go back out on the range, do a night shoot, you know, and then that was it. And uh, I always had fun doing that, but. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting pretty late in this one. So I'm going to say that we will come back again with you. Um, I know this was a bit of a different episode for most people, but I mean, it's not like I had any episodes recently anyway, so not something is better than nothing. Um, if you guys enjoyed listening to this, uh, I will have Matt back on because I can force him. No, I can ask him to come back on. We'll probably do it again. Uh, the other good news is that uh, Bailey is back from... Where he was so he'll be coming back on hopefully eventually soon and then i also am going to try to upgrade the podcast hopefully when i get some money to more than two guests um obviously online it's not a problem but in person i can only do two at the moment because my audio interface so thank you matt for coming on the podcast yeah no problem uh had fun talking yeah this is, this is pretty much how we normally talk this isn't any different yeah, than we honestly nerd out yeah <laughs> And uh, with that being said, well, I'll end it here and we will call it a day. But I hopefully will be able to get back on and doing this more calm, more often and whatnot. So as always, have a good day.